Hello, this is Kat. This is Phoebe. Hello from the garden where we are sipping our feminine chaos coffee and chatting all day long. Okay, so yeah, so I'm, Phoebe, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna read you a tweet and I want you to tell me on a scale of one to like red hot murder, how angry it makes you. Here's the tweet. My husband and I wake up every morning and bring our coffee out to our garden and sit and talk for hours. Every morning. It never gets old and we never run out of things to talk to. Love him so much. Okay. I think that whoever wrote this tweet is like, if you take Hitler and Stalin and all the other, you know, Putin, why not throw Putin in there? You know, let's get, make things a little more modern. Um, all the bad guys of history pale in comparison to whoever did this tweet. This tweet is my 9-11. Well, certainly. I mean, <laughs> it's everybody's. That, that's the only reasonable way to think about it. Um, so I have a question for you, though, a related question, which is on a scale from like a middle class, sort of upper middle class lawyer to Elon Musk, how wealthy would you say that the person who did this tweet surely must be? You'd have to multiply, like, multiples of Elon Musk. Like, I'm pretty sure that this woman owns, if not an island, then, like, a, at least a moon somewhere. Like, she may, she may actually own the moon. What I can't figure out is, so I'm trying to now, like, sort of surreptitiously quickly look at the replies, because I feel like there were a lot of people talking about how annoyed people were at this person, and I'm not sure how many people were genuinely annoyed at this person. Um, it's one of those things where I'm just not sure the like ratio of um, actual outrage to outrage at outrage. Do you have any sense of this? Well, I think at this point, it's um, the, t- the tweet has gone so viral. And just for the record, neither one of us actually found this tweet upsetting. Um, no, no, it's all right. It was the it was the main character of the internet tweet, um, which in turn spawned a lot of uh, what I guess is is termed the main character of the universe phenomenon amongst people who saw it and did find it offensive in in some way, shape, or form. So anyway, I think the fact that this tweet, which uh, was posted originally on October twenty first, which is four days prior to this recording ultimately went so viral for the bizarre responses to it. I mean, it's it spawned all of this copy pasta. Um, you know, it's it's now basically impossible to disentangle the reactions to the reactions and the memes that spawned from this tweet. Well, there was, I think we should start with one reaction that I think sums up kind of, like this is the reaction that went viral, was where some other account, um, these are all people I had not heard of, although um, Daisy at Lil Plant Mommy, who wrote the original tweet, um, seems to have a lot of Twitter followers. She has 19.4 thousand Twitter followers. Um, anyway, somebody replied to her saying, this is lovely, but I'm gonna assume uh, y'all have a lot, all caps, of money. Most people don't have the option. So that seems to have been the origin, at least the ostensible origin for the fury here was that the privilege so this was a good old-fashioned i love these obviously um a good old-fashioned privilege call out who has the privilege 
to to do what exactly? Frankly, I think that every type of privilege, like once you start unpacking all of the privilege in this tweet, there's sort of no limit to it. It's the privilege to have a garden, the privilege to have a leisure time, the privilege to have a husband, the privilege to have coffee, the privilege to be able to go outside uh, and not have some kind of horrible life altering allergic reaction. I mean, frankly, this is just, there's just a whole lot of privilege. In tweet. <laughs> but it's the time, right? Isn't it also about like that they have that they don't have anywhere they have to be, right? Like they don't have any responsibilities. Is that, do you think, at the core of it? First thing in the morning, apparently. You know, the funny thing is, like, if I were to start unpacking this, and I I saw a response from Lil Plant Mommy um, saying that she runs a business and her husband is a yoga instructor and professional skateboarder, so they have a, a sort of a, I mean... This doesn't sound to me like a, a privileged life, but more like a bohemian one. Um, but what I was thinking is the type of person who can wake up in the morning and spend, you know, hours outside in a garden drinking coffee is somebody who just doesn't have some place to be in the morning. But, you know, it's very possible that they have the type of service industry job that keeps them out and up until quite late at night like working at a bar or working as a waitress or whatever. So I don't know, the the notion of being able to wake up in the morning and not have to immediately rush to work actually strikes me not remotely as a certain mark of privilege when it could just easily, just as easily be a mark of somebody being a member of the working class. I guess to me, like, yeah, I do jump to thinking that this is probably that they don't have small children, but that again that's just like a life fact it's not privilege or lack thereof it's just you know some people do have small children and some don't and i wouldn't really say that that's a a privilege sort of category they might have them at some point i think they just got married so you know maybe they just want five minutes (laughs) before they start doing that oh no no i think they better get to it you know i want to see smaller plant little plant baby She's practicing. She's practicing on her plants, as one does and as one should. You want to make sure that you can keep like a cactus alive before you start doing humans, right? It's fair. Yeah. I mean, so then people really did get angry about this because then I had in my replies somebody pointing out to me that these people, like this woman, I guess, is an anti-vaxxer. It's like, okay, that's, you know, unfortunate. But does this have anything to do with anything? I also wonder you know, it's a kind of a, an unfortunate side effect of the vaccine discourse and how politicized it got that at this point, when someone says, oh, so-and-so is an anti-vaxxer, you can no longer be certain what that means. Well, there were some tweets. There were some, like, concrete evidence that she's, you know, had some... I don't remember what the, exactly was evidence of, but the point is, who cares? Like, she just... This was not a tweet about that. You know what I mean? Like... I don't know, or is everybody who tweets, I love my husband being sort of background checked in this way? It just seemed bizarre. Well, I mean, sure they are, right? That's sort of the culture that we live in now. Um, I think that there's, so I I think there is actually something broader about response that was spawned by this tweet than just like, oh, this is, this is funny and it's ridiculous. There's something about the desire to 
experience negative emotions online. Um, and also this deep suspicion about anybody who is being positive online. It's like you see somebody saying, I have coffee in the garden with my husband who I love. And if you are a member of this sort of extremely online group of people, you see that. And number one, you don't trust that. That seems suspect. Like something is clearly wrong here. Nobody is this happy. Nobody should get to be this happy. And so then begins the quest, rather than reacting in a positive way to this kind of feel-good moment you know, that somebody decided to share, it instead becomes a quest to, to kind of milkshake duck them, right? It's like, oh, we're going to find out what's really going on in that garden, like <laughs> probably where you've buried the bodies of a thousand people. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that people, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about what it would have been like had this tweet actually been really sad. Um, You know, had somebody gone online and said, like, every morning I, I go to the garden with my coffee and I spend five minutes weeping because that's all I have is five minutes. And I weep about how alone I am and how like my body hurts and I don't have anyone and I'm so lonely and I'm so sad and my life sucks. And I've been through all these traumas and tragedies. I think that the response would have been quite different. Well, there wouldn't have been as many people interested. Yeah, yeah. People would have felt bad about piling on, you know. Nobody would have been like, oh yeah, I wish I had five minutes to cry in the garden, (laughs) you know, the privilege of being able to cry in the garden. So I might have a slightly different take on this. I think that a post like that might get an at least you have a garden I could see that. And I think that that has something to do with kind of the New York centrism and just the general sort of city centrism of a lot of Twitter and especially sort of media Twitter, where the assumption is that this person, whoever she is, wherever she is in the world, I think in Sacramento area from something else she tweeted. But anyway, that there's somewhere where it would be extremely expensive to have any outdoor space and that you're learning something profound about this person that they live in a, you know, multi-million dollar home because they have a garden right Mm -hmm. because that's what it would be in certain places where it's assumed everybody lives where in fact not everybody lives so I think that's part of it but I also I think it's negativity online but I think it's like something more specific even than that which is like this the thing where everything has to be systemic and everything has to be tied to the greater cause of some sort whatever that is and I think what's happening here is that the lady's being a bit annoying. A smug, I love my husband, I love spending time in the garden and having coffee with him, is, you know, she's happy, and she's happy in a kind of smug way, and she's announcing it to the world, not to, you know, people who particularly know or care about her, but it's just sort of a general announcement. And I think a very normal reaction to have to that, if for some reason it crosses your path, is to find it a little irritating. And I don't think that you even have to have a different life than this woman to find that a kind of like smug and irritating post. Did you did you find it smug and irritating? I mean, I just didn't it's the kind of thing I just I just didn't care like it's the kind of thing I would just kind of like breeze past and not really think about. Yeah, see, I think that that's much more normal. Like the idea that, you know, witnessing somebody's happiness is inherently annoying. 
I don't know. I think that that's an idea that gets a lot of traction online, maybe because there are so many kind of maladjusted people, especially on Twitter, um, kind of driving the discourse. But I want to kind of drill down on that a little bit. Like, is it actually normal or understandable to find other people's happiness infuriating? It's not necessarily that this is like a braggy post. It's just, you know, we wake up every morning, we go to the garden, we sit and talk for hours. Um, it never gets old and we never run out of things to talk about. And I love him. Like, I mean, I don't know. That doesn't strike me as, I mean, I think the most charitable reading of this is like that she kind of can't believe her good luck. She's just excited. I guess. Ooh, maybe an acknowledgement of privilege. And maybe that's kind of um, where people are missing something here because she's she's not taking it for granted. I mean, this is the kind of thing that you would write, like if you were practicing gratitude yes, and you were journaling about it, this is what you would write. You'd be like, I'm taking a moment to be so grateful for what I have that is wonderful. So yeah, I mean, I guess that there is a question of what does it accomplish to do this in public? You know, does it become inherently, is it inherently bad to be grateful in public bad but boasting I think it is inherently a type it's interpreted as boasting and I don't think you have to be particularly online or particularly sort of neurotic in any way to see something something changes when a thought like this goes from a journal or a sort of I don't know some smaller setting to a sort of general post and I'm not saying that like I don't think it's a question of good or bad but I think to interpret this, like, why is she telling the world? I don't think any of this merits the pylon, but I guess what I'm saying is that I think insofar as people were annoyed at it, the the annoyance didn't have to present itself as something about how wealthy she is. I think what they are actually annoyed at is how happy she seems. Or they're suspect, suspecting she isn't, sorry, because sometimes people who post a lot about, like, really sappy stuff about their significant other can sometimes read as a little protest too much. Um, and sometimes um, I'm thinking of some, not offline, because obviously it's online, but I'm thinking of some examples I know of where, yeah, sometimes it is that. But that's like the I don't trust it impulse, right? It's like, you say you're happy. I know you're not. Nobody's this happy. Well, I think there is something to that, though, for people, not just, I don't think you could do that based on one tweet. But I think if somebody is constantly using their social media to say my relationship is the greatest of all relationships it is so good it is so wonderful you don't think that there's something a little like why aren't they just off having that relationship or am i being too sort of old fogey pre-online about this i understand why the fact that this was a public tweet inherently made people feel like it was inviting this type of reaction on the other hand, I'm trying to think of how how does one, if even possible, express gratitude for a moment or a situation like this in a way that doesn't cause this kind of infuriated reaction by people who feel like it's in some way kind of like a dig at them or or boasting um, and and meant to make other people feel bad by comparison, because like when I when I read this tweet. The thing that strikes me is that she doesn't say anything about anybody else's relationship. You know, it just really seems like the kind of thing where it's like hashtag blessed. You know, I'm just feeling so good this morning. Ooh. Oh, I have another theory. Another theory. People are not mad that she's happy. They're mad that she's basic. Because this is extremely 
corny. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's earnest and corny and it's nice, but it's also like, you don't get the sense that the sort of, I don't know, literary magazine in Brooklyn set, however happy they are in their relationships would ever tweet something like this, right? No, but I think the thing is that they would find a way to humble brag about it. They would twist it like, you know, to make it sound as though it wasn't, or they would describe it like it wasn't that great while conveying that actually it was great. Ooh, or it could be the thing like the men, men are evil, except for my man who's not evil. There's a lot of that. That might be part of it too. But yeah, I think the earnestness of this kind of flummoxed people, um, and and that's maybe also a function of the fact that people are always trying to kind of lift up the corner of whatever it is, you know, that's that's being expressed, um, especially on Twitter, and find some buried hidden sentiment. I mean, it's it's a joke at this point that if you go on Twitter and you say, I just eat the best pancake. I love pancakes. Someone is going to be like, wow, so you hate waffles? What is wrong with you? Like, why are you negging everybody who loves a waffle? You know, how dare you like rub this in my face? I feel so attacked, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's a meme at this point. If you are on the internet and you're and you're saying this thing, there's always going to be one person who is inclined to take it really personally. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's that thing, right, where people think that it has to be about them, whatever anybody else has tweeted, that it's actually like personally about them. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I guess um, I, I just I would like for somebody who researches such matters to, you know, do some kind of chart of how many people were actually mad at this woman and how many people found the anger that she received to be ridiculous. Because my faith in humanity makes me think that more people found the mocking ridiculous than the woman. But I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think that this would have ever gone so viral if not for the anger and the mocking. And that's the interesting thing about what travels online versus what doesn't. This tweet would never have gone so viral if not for the unhappy reactions to it. It's just like, you know, nothing spreads like outrage. Um, So here's a question. Would we say that in, you know, in publicly being a woman, you know, like visible and like and being and being like a happy woman visibly, would we say this was like a gutsy move? perhaps. Oh, now I realize I forgot to talk about the other thing that relates to this, but let's do gutsy. Yes. Yeah, we can we, we can segue back to... Okay, we, we will segue back to the, the women who are not so gutsy, perhaps, um, yeah. or maybe really gutsy, we can discuss. Um, yeah, I think that there's nothing gutsier than, um, than taking that cup of coffee, actually, and sitting in your garden and tweeting it out. Except maybe upending the hot coffee, like on your bare naked chest (laughs) (laughs) exposing the guts beneath oh god that's Um, a really hot cup of coffee that's like that's like mcdonald's strength hot oh yeah definitely um yeah i watched gutsy what is gutsy phoebe for for those uninitiated it's where you uh take a little camera and go into the intestine no that's actually um my father's line of work but (laughs) gutsy is a new television program by Hillary and um, Chelsea Clinton, where they meet a lot of other gutsy women 
around the world and um, kind of pat themselves and one another on the back. And I watched an episode of it as well as the trailer, as well as a few clips from other episodes. And yeah, um, I wanted to not, like I I always describe myself as being anti-anti-Chelsea and like sort of anti-anti-Hillary too, I guess, because I feel like they've, um, like their haters have annoyed me over the years. Mm -hmm. And also like, there's there's this thing, okay, where people just are revolted by the prospect of like, if Chelsea Clinton, what if there's a president Chelsea Clinton? Oh no, what a disaster that would be. And it's like, really? Like, and there's Justin Trudeau in Canada. It's like, fine, you know, whatever, you know, the world doesn't um, necessarily end just because there's some political dynasty. And I do think there's something, I, I don't think it's like, it's obviously not um, the biggest feminist issue in some some respects, how people react to the Clinton ladies. But um, I do think there's something sexist about thinking that like that would be a tragedy, but not because dynasties are in general, but, but that somehow specifically would be a disaster. Um, and I do think that it's impossible to separate that out from the, like, like, I think it's a lot like with Lena Dunham, right? Where it's sort of, this person is oblivious and privileged and gets interspersed in the discourse with this person is a young woman who has the audacity not to look like a supermodel. And it Mm -hmm. gets kind of entangled in this way where there's some basic truth about, you know, unearned advantages, but there's also this fury at somebody being in the public eye, a young, or I guess at this point, youngish woman and not being, you know, stunningly beautiful in a conventional way. So, right. So I wanted to not hate it. I wanted to not hate it. And yet, did you, did you hate it? It was just, it it wasn't for me. It's a very diplomatic answer. Yeah, it was, I don't know who it's for. um, And I just don't know. Yeah. I, I, I found it kind of like unwatchable and I did decide as I was, watching it that I had to, you know, write about it because otherwise, I mean, I figured I probably would try to because um, it's material. Yeah. Well, you have to get some value out of the time you spent watching this, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, I, I guess I found it interesting because I feel like what it really pointed to, at to me is this disconnect between the sort of very online world of being way, way past 2016 you know, and now it's like other forms of feminism and, you know, not just like intersectional feminism, but like cis women being, you know, cisgender women being, you know, divided between the sort of trans allies and the, um, you know, gender critical feminists and all the, all of these, it feels like there's all of the stuff that's come up in the intervening years, but then this just seemed to be like out of another time and by people who had somehow like they're like stuck in this other moment. And I was kind of interested in it from an almost like time travel way. Yeah. There was something um, almost quaint, but also ridiculous. And maybe for this reason about the clip that I saw, I think you sent it to me of Hillary and Chelsea and Amy Schumer sitting around a table at like a, a fancy tea room in New York City, drinking bespoke gourmet tea, except for the one person who ordered coffee, right? Who was that? 
I think it was Chelsea, and that was, was supposed Chelsea. to be very cute that she got coffee at the tea place. Gutsy move there. It was like, oh, you. Yeah. Um, and then they're all sort of sitting around, and they're all talking in this very self-congratulatory way about how courageous it is to be a woman in public. And I'm trying to think if there is a group of women from whom that wouldn't be a cringeworthy conversation to witness. It definitely was amongst this group of women. Yeah, I mean, I had kind of forgotten about Amy Schumer. So there she was again. Um, She kind of had her own, yeah, I guess, like mini version or not quite mini version of the Lena Dunham discourse around her. Um, Right? I think we've been talking about this, right? That she sort of had the persona of a oblivious, more of a ditz, not so much like a brat, more of a ditz than a brat, but that this then became unacceptable to have a persona like that became, you know, treated like, um, hasn't Lee Stein made this point that like people don't understand what satire is? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Satire confuses people now and Lee has definitely observed that trenchantly. Um, I think that what happened with Amy Schumer and in a way it's, it it was her good luck that this happened to her as early as it did, because I think had she been making the kind of content that she used to make more recently, I think she would be fully canceled now because she used to tell jokes. um, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase this because I'm not, I don't think I'm getting it quite right. But one of her jokes was um, that she would tell in this sort of ditzy persona was that she used to date uh, Latino guys, but now she prefers consensual. Yes, I remember this. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, you know, it's like, it's funny. It's obviously off color. Um, I think in the extremely earnestly humorless moments that seized the comedy scene amidst the pandemic, for sure, um, that would have been not just a dubious joke to make, but one that caused the destruction of her career. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm thinking of another Amy Schumer controversy um, when she had that movie, um, something about pretty. I feel pretty. I finally watched that on an airplane. I think I also watched it on an airplane. That's really weird. I, I definitely have seen it, and I'm pretty sure that would have been where. So she, where where she imagines that she looks like, isn't it Emily Radichkowski? Um. Well, I mean, you never see what she sees, which is sort of the gimmick of of the whole thing. She just thinks she's beautiful. Yeah. You know, she like she gets hit in the head and then she is like she sees herself as as beautiful. Right. And and didn't this that wasn't the controversy here that she's um, it, this was always the thing that like she's a cis able bodied blonde white woman who, you know, how dare she think she doesn't fit with the, you know, Hollywood beauty ideals. And, but she doesn't fit really with the Hollywood beauty ideals or else people wouldn't understand the concept. And I think people did. That was the thing. It's everybody who, (laughs) I I think that part of the problem with this movie and this controversy is that like even now and it's been years I still feel kind of bad talking about it because it requires talking about somebody's physical appearance in a way that is considered quite rude um but a lot of people who felt 
like Amy Schumer was still more attractive than they were, basically were upset that they weren't being represented on screen. It's like, I want I want an ugly person to represent me on screen. They have to be uglier. Like the ugly for Hollywood has to be uglier than Amy, Amy Schumer, or I won't feel like I can relate to this movie. But, or is it that, pe- well, to be more generous to the those people in that sort of scenario, do you think it's that? Or do you think it's more just that like, they feel that if a movie is saying that to look like Amy Schumer is ugly implies that anybody uglier than Amy Schumer is sort of like should not show their face in public. I thought it would be gutsy if they did maybe. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think the thing is that the, the premise of that movie is not that Amy Schumer was ugly and now she's pretty. It's that she was ordinary looking, you know, maybe like just this side of not hot. And then she became, at least in her own mind, stunningly gorgeous. Um, So, you know, she was meant to represent a sort of an average looking woman. And I do think she is that. Well, the kids have a name for this now, mid, apparently. Oh, right. Mid. Yeah. Because I would always say within normal limits, but apparently there's a shorter way of putting it. And I've only recently learned this, but apparently that would be mid- Mid. Which, um, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I don't think it was that she was supposed to be ugly either. I think it was supposed to be that she's not spectacularly beautiful. But there's this weird thing in the discourse where to say that a woman isn't spectacularly beautiful is to say that she's hideous, which, yeah, doesn't quite add up. But at least the kids invented mid. At the same time, they're also eating spaghetti on TikTok and telling themselves that they're hot or calling themselves hot. So I don't know. It's all very confusing. They're doing a lot of things on TikTok, um, including, can we segue to the other thing they're doing or do you have more on Gutsy? You know, I just want to, I guess I want to hypothesize or or ask a question, um, play devil's advocate. I don't know. Um, Because I was trying to decide, you know, what it was about this clip that rubbed me so much the wrong way. Um, and this this whole thing of the women congratulating themselves on being brave enough to exist in public. And I think that there's, you know, implicit in this, and, and we talked a little bit about this, um, about how, you know, you can be, you know, a very successful woman and yet also still be a victim of sexism. But I wonder when you are like in the sort of 99th percentile of success as compared not just with other women but also the entire planet you know many men most men all men by by just basic human standards amy schumer hillary clinton and chelsea clinton are all successful wealthy powerful you know i mean the i guess the only privilege that they don't have like 99th percentile is physical attractiveness um but other than that sort of beyond the wildest dreams of any ordinary person like they are members of the elite is there a point at which having achieved that much you have to forfeit the right to blame your limitations or your lack of you know your your few failures on sexism Oh, okay. So I think we may disagree because I think I don't see it as personally tragic for Hillary Clinton that her life hasn't gone exactly 100% in all ways as she wanted. That seems not really the angle. But I do see it as at least relevant that there's never been a woman president of the United States. And I think that that points to something. 
And it doesn't, it's not the only thing that matters for feminism, but I think that it's become sort of unfashionable to think it matters at all. And I think it does matter and matters beyond to the specific woman who could have that role. Um, so yeah, I, I think the sort of Hillary's setbacks having a broader resonance is something. I think the problem is that this makes it all about Hillary in a very personal way. And it's a lot, a lot of the show seems to be about her anger and resentment about 2016. And like, it's understandable that she's upset, but I don't think that like feminism hinges on her personally being happy. I think it's more just, but like, like I think that what happened in 2016 matters, but how Hillary Clinton personally feels about it is like the least important aspect of how it matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this, which is why I, you know, I wanted to talk about it. But the thing that I keep coming back to is, I don't know, when we're talking about people who, you know, let's let's just talk specifically about Hillary. There's this sense in the conversations surrounding her, um, at least, you know, in certain like feminist conversations surrounding her, that everything she's achieved, she did in spite of sexism, right? You know, all of her astronomical success, like she did it, you know, in, in spite of the setback of being a woman. Um, but th- that when she fails to achieve like astronomical success plus one, she doesn't get the one thing that she really wanted, which was to be president, that that's because she's a woman. And I don't know, it's it's sort of this like Schrodinger sexism thing that I find a little bit hard to to fully make peace with. Um, Because I think what it ignores maybe, and and this is the thing that's bothering me about it, is as much as, yes, you know, there are people out there who did not want Hillary Clinton to be president because she's a woman, you know, and so there's sexism there and that held her back. There are also a decent number of people who wanted her to be president specifically because she's a woman and who were willing to forgive things in her candidacy because she was a woman and because they wanted to see that glass ceiling break that they would have not necessarily tolerated what? in a man. Are you, ta- are you talking about me? What? Yes, this is true. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I'm talking about myself. Like I will fully own up to this. Like there are things about her that I probably would have, if all things had been equal, and it was the male version of Hillary Clinton and the female version of Hillary Clinton. You know, the the male version, I would have been like, I don't know, some of these policy preferences, like, <laughs> I don't know, I have I have thoughts about this. I have, I have some doubts. Um, but I, you know, I very enthusiastically pulled the lever for her. I mean, also, she was running against Donald Trump. So it's not like this was actually a difficult decision and, and good, good thing that it wasn't. But even then... I was excited about the idea of electing a woman. Um, and I'll, t- I'll totally own up to that. Oh, so will I. I mean, politically, I, I'm more of a Bernie bro, to be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, I was even just going to go with the the really sort of like obvious thing of how she got where she is. I mean, the name recognition of having been first lady. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, is that the only, I mean, it's a route into power, you know, but I mean, you're getting rather dangerously close to the sort of discourse surrounding like the queen being having been, you know, like some sort of feminist icon on account of being a woman in power, you know? Yeah, you know, once you have to factor in the the nepotism, it gets complicated, doesn't it? I mean, 
even if she was very much behind, I'm sure she was very much behind Bill Clinton's successes, you know, if your name recognition comes from who you were married to, it's sort of, you're already a little bit tainted as a sort of feminist icon, right? I mean, I think that's how a lot of people receive her. I don't... Sure. I mean, there's that that sense of like, um, you know, it's almost like a, what a, like a gold digger, except for political capital instead of financial capital. But... I don't know. I mean, it is it is complicated because, like, obviously, we have all of these political dynasties where you know the family name means something. Um, you know, it's true of the Bushes, it's true of the Kennedys. I'm sure there's others that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, and you know, does when the relationship is by marriage rather than by birth, does that necessarily add an unfeminist gloss to it? I mean, I think in a way it should be considered less problematic than a Justin Trudeau or Chelsea Clinton situation where you're born into it. Because, I mean, you could say that she strategically picked Bill Clinton, right? You yeah. Know, that, that was that was a career choice she made. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's one way to look at it. And that they had this kind of power marriage thing of sorts, um, with some complications, as I recall, being a child of that era. That would certainly make sense. I, I like the idea that this entire thing has been five-dimensional chess, um, because, you know, there was a point at which when uh, Bill Clinton's affairs were extremely public and like a constant topic of conversation that I felt kind of bad for Hillary Clinton. I was like, this is embarrassing for her. But maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was embarrassing for him. Yeah, I, I always thought that was kind of the general assumption about Hillary Clinton was that she's just kind of savvy and that she's not like personally all that bothered about what Bill Clinton was up to. But maybe mm -hmm. I'm, I don't know. You know, I mean, when, when she and I are chatting later in the garden over coffee for the hours that we will spend doing that, I will ask her. Yeah, let me know what she says. I, meanwhile, am going to be um, extremely busy while you're chatting with Hillary Clinton in your garden, never running out of things to talk about because you love her so much. So much. Um, I'm going to be a stay-at-home girlfriend. Yes. This... <laughs> so, I... Stay-at-home girlfriends are apparently a thing. I learned that earlier today, I want to say, although I'd seen tweets earlier, but I only learned what it was about, what people were talking about earlier today. So please Ex understand that I, I'm not, you know, the world's foremost um I wanted to say imaginary girlfriend, sorry, stay at home girlfriend expert. But apparently this is some kind of thing on TikTok where attractive young women do a day in the life of what they do as a stay at home girlfriend. Now, whether more than one or two or three such, because I've seen two such videos now, I actually watched them and one was the parody of it. So I think there are a couple others, but the real one, and we can put a link, is basically some very attractive uh, young woman goes through her day being, uh, what was his name? I've already forgot. I think it's Luke. I think it's Luke, the boyfriend. Is this is this the one that you sent to she me? She heats up Luke's, he, yeah, she heats up Luke's soup, right? I don't know. I mean, the thing that struck me about this stay-at-home girlfriend video, which I watch in a state of confusion because I did not really understand what I was seeing and I still don't really understand what I was seeing. Um, she didn't stay at home. She left the house. She certainly she, did. She did Pilates. She she seems to have dropped him off and picked him up at work. Yes. I think it's like a stay-at-home wife 
as in like not working outside the home. I think that's the meaning in this context. Yes, except that her role was more like that of a mom. So it was like, I'm a stay-at-home mom to my boyfriend because she had to, she dropped him off at work like she was dropping him off at school. And she did his laundry, right? She's doing his laundry, um, you know, heating up his soup. And this is all, yeah, seeming rather familiar to me as a mother. Um, I'm a, I'm a, well, I'm not really a stay-at-home mother, although I am often at home and doing laundry and heating soup. But I guess like she's sort of, so I, I wrote something else not about this, but about like a sort of personality from the earlier, like a few decades ago, um, and that's will appear eventually. But anyway, where this guy was kind of a big shot in his world and had a lot of sort of women at various points in his life who were kind of this like mix between a personal assistant and a girlfriend or wife. And I think that is a dynamic that, you know, exists in the world. And I guess that's kind of what this is um yeah I, I guess it's supposed to be aspirational right because it's like she's in a nice house she looks good she eats healthy she exercises um she has all the time in the world although her guy does not because he's working maybe or just going to the gym I guess it's like a trad wife I think is the idea but without the marriage and definitely there are no children there so I don't I don't exactly get what it is, and I don't know whether it's an actual thing. Um, is it like practice? Is it like you practice for being a trad wife by being a stay-at-home girlfriend? And if you make your boyfriend's soup adequately, then maybe he'll marry you because he knows that you'll make soup really good for your children? Um, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> this is reminding me of an anecdote I found in one of the things I was reading about for this thing I I wrote that's like where some woman left her husband who was some professor in Canada for some other woman and the man was quoted as saying that he'll miss her soup (laughs) so I guess soup is maybe like really important to men or maybe it's a euphemism I don't know I, I guess but the thing is aren't trad women and trad people of all genders um supposed to be like they wouldn't do uh cohabitation premarital cohabitation right isn't that the whole that's not very trad i don't know maybe this is the new trad i guess but i I feel like that it's a it's not quite trad it's almost like more submission like in a kind of more modern sense but it's more just sort of like i don't know is, is it some sort of like fetishized being a doormat yeah, I mean, the thing that I was sort of thinking is, you know, the the trad wife would hold out for marriage before cohabitating because she would also hold out for marriage before having sex. The idea right. being that, you know, you're going to you're going to cement your position and your legal standing with the man before you before you give that up. Um, so this seems, yeah, you know, less strategic um, for the woman, less of a, a secure position. And maybe this is what, um, just to just to throw back to a book that I read recently, maybe this is why Louise Perry, fellow unheard writer, thinks that the sexual revolution was a mistake. Yeah. I mean, this, it's it certainly, um, it's not a good case for it, the stay-at-home girlfriend concept. Because yeah, um, as I am by no means the first to 
point out like what's in it for these women um if there's a breakup you know it's sort of they're stuck without presumably like much of an employment history at the same time i guess like somebody else had pointed out online with like their content creators which i guess although i don't know i think this might be like overstating how much is posting work well I don't know, can be. I mean, I'm sure it is, but does it pay? Exactly. Because I think my understanding of things like this is that sort of hot girl makes video can get a lot of clicks, but doesn't necessarily translate to anything particularly monetized. Um, Certainly if it hasn't been in any way monetized. But yeah, I don't know. It's It also made me think, though, about the whole movement to be upset about having to put the husband's proverbial socks in the laundry that it's kind of like this backlash to that like look how happily I look after my man you know as versus the kind of like it's almost a backlash to the sort of it's emotional labor to pick up my husband's socks thing right well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it now okay 25 to 40 years from the moment that we're having this conversation that woman the stay-at-home girlfriend from the video is going to be the president. And we're going to be like, oh my God, she was planning it all along. <laughs> will will her guy have been president first though? No, no. This is the next stage. Okay. She's going to, she's going to vault over him, over his dead body <laughs> that she'll, she'll have buried in the garden where they once drank coffee for hours uh, to become successful beyond anybody's wildest dreams or expectations. I'm calling it now. Uh, and if it plays out like this, you have to give me $5. What do you say? Perfect. Okay. It, it's a bet. And speaking of $5. Oh, yes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider joining Feminine Chaos at the premium level on Substack. For $5 a month, you'll get access to exclusive content and a fun little community of fellow subscribers. You can find us at femchaospod.substack.com. And it's been Feminine Chaos. Bye. Bye.